BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And welcome to the Water Cooler, everybody. I'm David Brody. Thanks for joining us today. It's Tuesday, March 23rd, 2021. And it's happened yet again. Another mass shooting in America. In Boulder, Colorado, 10 people are dead after a man opened fire at a grocery store. This on the heels of the shooting and murders last week of eight Asian Americans in the Atlanta area. And at this hour, we're getting more information about the 21-year-old suspect. He's been identified as Ahmad Al-Issa. He identified as a Muslim and early signs on his now scrubbed social media show that he had major issues apparently with Donald Trump, especially his policies towards U.S. refugee settlements and what he saw as Islamophobia. More on all of this today. Also on the show, the constitutionality of vaccine passports. Europe is moving toward that system. The U.S. may not be far behind. Wait a minute here. Is that kosher with the Constitution? We explore the controversial issue. And the Israeli elections are today. Benjamin Netanyahu once again trying to hold on to the prime minister slot. How is it looking and what does the election mean to the state of Israel and the broader Middle East jigsaw puzzle? But first, the tragic mass shooting in Boulder. So much to unpack. Now, the media talks so much about domestic terrorism by white men. But news out of Colorado today paint the exact opposite picture. Ahmad al-Issa is Muslim and behind bars. Now, we don't know the official motive yet, but his past social media posts have an anti-Trump vibe all over it. And in Congress, as you might imagine, Democrats are already calling for gun control legislation to be passed. Here's Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer today. I've already committed to bringing universal background checks legislation to the floor of the Senate. There's a hearing today in the Senate Judiciary Committee under Chairman Durbin's leadership to examine several common-sense proposals to reduce gun violence. Two summers ago, the Republican leader, then the majority leader, promised there would be a debate in the Senate on gun violence. But it never happened. It never happened. This Senate will be different. The Senate is going to debate and address the epidemic of gun violence in this country. Today, our hearts are with the people of Colorado and with everyone whose lives have been touched by gun violence. All right, so let me uh, be clear about a couple of things here. First of all, unless Democrats blow up the legislative filibuster to only require 50 votes on bills, gun control legislation is going nowhere in the Senate because it takes 60 votes, and there just are not 10 Republicans willing to go there. Now, second, secondly, I want to look at the facts here. In Colorado, the state has pretty serious gun restrictions already on the books. For example, universal background checks, a large capacity magazine ban. They also have red flag laws that allow weapons to be temporarily seized from those considered extreme risk anyhow. And only 12 states have stricter laws on the books than Colorado. So folks, we can have a gun control debate for sure. It's also though important to understand the facts. 
All right, I want to bring in our first guest now back with us uh, this week, Russ Vogt, Donald Trump's former budget director, now president of the Center for American Restoration. Russ, thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Thanks, David. Uh, give us your take on what happened in Boulder. What can be done here politically, otherwise? What's, what's happening here in our country, Russ? It's tragic, obviously, to see the events of the last two weeks, most recently in Boulder. Uh, the modern world has great despair, and obviously that there is something stirring in our cultural where people uh, are have, have significant angst in their life, and, and uh, they resort to, to violence. And it's something that you know, I, I think that the, the immediate knee-jerk reaction to go in the name of gun control is just letting political ideologies uh, get your better, uh, get get the best of you. When when there's really the the solution, I think needs to be over time, cultural getting back to the fundamentals of what has made this country great, and and and, and over time, remembering that we're not a secular society. We weren't meant to be. We're meant to have hope and 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 uh, confidence in that we are made in the image of God and that leads to duties and, 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 and responsibilities as citizens. Russ, I think you're right on here because uh, Congress and especially Democrats, they're going to talk about gun control. We've also heard mental health. And look, there's an aspect to this for sure when it comes to mental health. I, I don't think anybody, there's any question about that. But you bring a larger perspective to this about the culture because, you know, not to date myself, hey, I wasn't around in the 40s or 50s almost the 50s, but I wasn't around then. And I can tell you, I don't remember mass shootings back in the 40s and 50s. It's been much different nowadays, especially since the 60s, 70s. We, we're seeing something different in our culture. Uh, what's going on here specifically? Because it seems like this is uh, spiritual, cultural, societal, a lot of this. Yeah, I don't have all the answers. All I would yeah. say is that there is angst and there is a despair in the modern world. And I think you have mm -hmm. to understand, well, why might that be? And some of the trends over the last 40 or 50 years that you just talked about is a significant lessening of the of the of, of people's recognition of God in their life, mm. uh, and that's reflected in the public square, that's reflected in our schools, that's reflected in our neighborhoods. It, faith is just pushed to the sidelines as opposed to being something that is common to us, and ultimately, consumerism, materialism, uh, a lot of what passes in our society right now for happiness is not what makes people happy. We know that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Russ, I want to talk about also another societal issue. The media loves to harp on this Christian nationalism. And of course, uh, you wrote an op-ed about that this week. I want to read a little bit of this. We have you here to explain in full. You say this, Christian nationalism is actually a rather benign and useful description for those who believe in both preserving our country's Judeo-Christian heritage and making public policy decisions that are best for this country. The term need not be subjected to such intense scorn due to misunderstanding or slander. So what does the media have wrong here, and why did you feel important to write the op-ed, Russ? Yeah, I just got tired of reading on and on about uh, the problem of Christian nationalism in our society, and then I look at their definition, and I find that it's just generally what you know conservative Christian uh, evangelicals believe about how their faith interacts with the public square. And I did some more investigating, and I realized that often it's a, an, a liberal academic that superimposes their definition that is politically charged onto what Christian evangelical b believe, uh, Christians of, of many different backgrounds believe, and attempts to uh, slander it and, and make it something that it is toxic so that those who hold those beliefs then run in the other direction and say, look, I, I'm not racist. I, I, don't, I don't subscribe to any of that. Uh, and I think that's 
that is something we got to prevent and work uh, against, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to write that that article. So, what, so there's a nefarious purpose here uh, by the left, is what you're saying. In other words, there's there's this idea of what marginalizing people that hold these Judeo-Christian values uh, highly to basically keep them silent. So make them silent. Make sure make make them realize that there, there's something unconscious going on that th it really needs to have you know more education and, mo and help them understand that they're on the wrong side of history. And, and you often hear that language thrown about. Uh, and, and it's troubling because you get these celebrity pastors that that just you know in in good faith glom on to a particular right. academic's definition, mm -hmm. and next thing you know, uh, the views of many many millions of Christians is maligned. Uh, I want to move on. You're uh, a numbers guy, so how can I not avoid numbers? I mean, I've got to put numbers up on the screen, so let's do that, shall we, Madison? New York Times headline here: Biden team prepares. Three trillion. That's not a typo, unfortunately. Three trillion dollars in new spending for the economy. Uh, here we go, Russ. Uh, look, they've already done the 1.9 trillion uh, in the COVID relief bill, and somehow, some way, billions of dollars are going to states. And you know that's going to be interesting to find out accountability-wise where that's going. But what about these taxes that we're seeing? Potential infrastructure bills. There is support on Capitol Hill to do something on infrastructure. I wonder where the hidden taxes are going to come in here. Yeah, there they go again, David. I mean, th this is, they're trying to, they know that infrastructure is popular. So they are strategically deciding to say, this is an infrastructure bill, but we're going to put every single thing we could possibly uh, take from our liberal ideology, uh, liberal ideology universal uh, pre-K, climate change, tax increases, all of these things are going to be part of a so-called infrastructure uh, package. And, and it's, it's largely, my guess is it's going to be too, uh, become too big to fail. Uh, in a sense, and, and uh, have a hard time getting through the United States Senate if it keeps going at, at these types of record numbers. But we're going to have to be very watchful. So what's your biggest concern about these taxes? Obviously, debt and deficit and all that. But what, what, what's, what's kind of like, from a budget perspective, your concern about what's happening when they continue to try to add all of these taxes in? Because, they, you know, everybody thinks you're getting something for free. You're never getting anything for free. Well, largely, my concern would be hurting the economy. And so we're not going to be able to get out of the fiscal hole that we are in if the country is not growing. And that impacts people's ability to find jobs and be able to get the unemployment level and, and get it down to such a level that we saw under President Trump, where virtually every uh, demographic community was benefiting tremendously by the levels of, of, of low levels of unemployment. So it's that. And then when you allow that kind of, of taxation to fund government, that's government that will never go away. And so it will have generational impact on our fiscal deficits. Yeah, so as we wrap up here, speaking of uh, generational uh, change and, and deficit and problems, uh, Joe Biden uh, has a press conference on Thursday. I'm curious to get your thoughts as to what you make of, of what he may or may not say. I I'm assuming he even knows there's a press conference. Maybe someone has put it uh, next to the tea and biscuits uh, after the nap. Uh, but the bottom line is, what do you expect exactly from Joe Biden on Thursday? It'll be interesting. I think the, one of the reasons that he hasn't wanted to have press conferences, I don't think his team is confident about his ability to uh, answer questions well and be on top of things. And so, you know, my suspicion is it will be a very short conversation. Uh, but if it isn't, you know, my, my, what I'll be listening to is, is he in command of the issues uh, and is he thinking and grappling with the issues that are on the minds of the American people? For sure. Russ Vogt, uh, president for the Center for American Restoration and the former director, Office of Management and Budget. Russ, thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Thanks, Dave.
All right, uh, Russ, uh, love to have him on. We've been having him on every week. This is good stuff. we got to keep that going. It's like a, don't they have some on Snapchat, like a streak, right? Like you, you do a photo and like you got to keep the streak going. we got to keep the Russ vote streak going, Madison. Am I, am I dating myself? Why am I talking about Snapchat? Unbelievable. All right. Uh, when we come back, Jordan Secular will be here, executive director of the ACLJ, talking immigration and the Israeli elections. We are back in a moment with more water cooler. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. Now we're going to talk about a couple different uh, crises, uh, immigration and potential crisis for Benjamin Netanyahu out in, out in Israel. Where is he, like in Kansas? He's overseas. It's, it's in Israel, Middle East. I've heard of it. Uh, but let's start with immigration, shall we? Uh, look at this New York Post headline. Uh, the U.S.-Mexico border traffickers earned as much as, wait for it, $14 million a day last month. Hey, it's not a crisis for them. It is a financial bonanza for them. Let's talk about that uh, with Jordan Sekula, executive director of the ACLJ. Jordan, great to have you back on the show, sir. Thanks, David. Jordan, uh, have at it. I mean, you, you guys did a whole uh, uh, episode about this on, on one of your recent um, uh, shows there. T talk to me a little bit about what's happening at the border from this perspective, at least. Yeah, we, we were engaging this issue, too, with our, our, our senior counsel, Mike Pompeo. So we were talking about to him kind of how these words had consequences from the Biden administration, this idea that you know, they're interviewing people and they're saying, would you have come if, if President Trump was in office? They say, no, uh, absolutely not. I could hear what they were saying. I could see what they were doing. Uh, the border was closed, and uh, and it was much more difficult to cross illegally, and we knew that. Uh, and and then in the midst, and remember, a lot of people said, "Well, it's COVID, it's this, it's that." But when Biden came in with the softer language, basically gave them the green light to go, and uh, and is now trying to close down a border, which is impossible to do once this this has started. And it's that same kind of crisis we're seeing develop, where you see tra human traffickers. Is who we're talking about, uh, cashing in at $14 million a day. These are the same people that traffic young girls uh, for, se for sex. They're the same that traffic drugs. They use children as drug mules. Uh, they work with terrorist groups. These are bad actors, and they are seizing on a moment. Uh, we've got kids back in cages or whatever you want to call that. It's happening again, and towns being dumped on. I heard a mayor from a small town in Texas, David, this morning on TV. The town's entire budget is $1.8 million a year. This is a real small town. They said they're just dumping these people there, and if they keep it at the rate that they're doing, that literally they just open up the bus doors and say, get out, good luck. So if they keep doing it at the same rate, which is two buses a week, for the next few weeks, that will take up a third of their budget just in COVID testing of these new people. Just in COVID testing of these new people. So it's a, it's a real humanitarian crisis but it's, it's self-induced by the Biden administration. Well, and, and Donald Trump had the exact opposite policy. And when I mean policy, I'm talking about uh, mindset, if you will, which is, you know, I like to call it the anti-field of dreams strategy. If I build the wall, they will not come. And, and they right. didn't. And, and then Joe Biden said, come on in, even though he's never said come on in, but he said, air quotes, come on in. Well, yeah, and the catch and release policy change. Right. So that, that was huge. Instead of saying, 
We're going to ship you right back, or you can wait in Mexico uh, until it's time for us to hear your asylum claim, which these are claims that we do asylum work at the ACLJ. And, David, if you've gone through three different countries and now you're making your asylum claim, it's very weak. Yeah. Uh, because if you're really running away from a danger in one country, what is the problem now that you're in, you've passed through three different countries and none of those were safe for you? And that's actually international law. So those are, so President Trump said, stay in place. And you know what happened? A lot less people even tried that. Uh, but we didn't have catch and release. We didn't have these cities and towns under uh, the uh, self-created crisis. Right. And, and the Biden administration, I, mean, I saw come up, uh, the Vice President Harris laugh about it. You know, I, the idea that, you know, I'm not going down the border today. Ha, ha, ha. This is, this yeah. is again, it's a self-induced crisis. But it's real now. And it's just going to get worse. This is not getting better as we speak. And COVID, I think, makes it uh, just exponentially that much more of a dangerous situation for these cities and towns that are along the border. Let me head to the Middle East. Uh, Israel, you follow it very, very well uh, over there at the ACLJ, you and Jay and, and, and many others. Uh, what, what's your take on Netanyahu? How much danger is he in? We're going to get results. We, we hope get some final results later. Maybe not. Uh, what, what's your sense of, of how tenuous this is for Netanyahu? So we have an office in Jerusalem, and they're following it obviously very closely because a lot of them are still in the military or they're reservists and uh, and our attorneys there, and they are Israelis, uh, so they would be voting. And and they will they will tell you that the real question is, are they going to have another election? Um, is this is this going to be a? So Netanyahu would basically still stay in office, but yet have to schedule another election because he won't be able to put together a coalition uh, necessarily of getting to 61 and the. The other parties are really dis disorganized this time. So you don't have a str one strong opposition leader. You'd have to have all these people who disagree from the far right and far left come together to knock him out. Um, it, the question is, will some of his, uh, there's a guy, Naftali Bennett, who used to be a close uh, advisor to, to, to uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, was in his cabinet as well. He's broken off, but he, he then kind of, the last couple of days, David, has said, he's back, though. He would join the, the Netanyahu government. Does he get the four seats necessary? I mean, there's it's it's different. No one gets a no one's ever won outright 61 seats. That's yeah. what it takes to get a majority there. Uh, but uh, but the who will be the coalition partners? I think is the big question. It's not that Prime Minister Netanyahu's party, the Likud party, is going to get the most votes. Mm -hmm. But we're going to put together a coalition. Could anyone else? It doesn't look like it. There's no one that has really captured that. Even the other major parties there have kind of fallen off by the wayside. And, uh, and a lot of this, I think, has to do with two things. It was, one, the accomplishments that Netanyahu was able to make under Trump, even though Trump is gone now, uh, the, the Abraham Accords, and the fact that 80% of the country is vaccinated. Yeah. So then the question becomes, depending on what happens with Netanyahu, the whole Middle East is watching, the world is watching. What happens in a Middle East jigsaw puzzle? This is, th th this is dicey over there. It is, because he is now, you know, he's a very consistent leader. Whether you like him or not as another Middle East leader, you know what he's doing, you know his plans, right. you know how he operates. You throw someone else in that mix, and, and we've seen that before in Israel, and things can change very rapidly, but I, that person has not really risen through the, the other candidates. You just don't have, no one in Israel is talking about, our, our staff too is saying, Basically, the only question is, do we have to go back and vote again in, you know, a, another year because he, no one was able to keep a coalition together? Yeah. By the way, 20 seconds or so, Joe Biden has a press conference on Thursday. <laughs> what do you think? I think it's a train wreck. I think it's going to be a train wreck. I don't know. What do you think? I think now he's already, you know, he's already called today for the, and I think what's horrible, what happened out in Colorado.
He's calling for assault weapons bans. He's already putting up divisive issues that now he's going to be peppered with questions on. Yeah. And he's got to be ready to answer it. I, I, do, I do, too. I think that, that his team would have never had this press conference if it wasn't for the mainstream media finally saying, you've got to give us a press conference. All right, for sure. Jordan Seculo, great to see you. Executive Director ACLJ. Thanks for being here, sir. Appreciate Thanks, it. David. All right, uh, Jordan Seculo. Yeah, I'm waiting for the question from the media. Uh, here's my question I think the media is going to ask. Uh, how's your dogs doing? Uh, are they okay out there in Delaware? Uh, that'll be the lead question. And then maybe like, how great was your response on COVID? Uh, on a scale of one to 10, how great was it? Back in a moment. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. Uh, that mass shooting in Boulder, uh, 10 dead. Joe Biden, uh, the president now calling on Congress, specifically the Senate, to pass those two House bills calling for certain gun control measures. We'll have more on that uh, as the days progress. Uh, let's bring in Jessica Rivera now in Boulder, Real America's voice correspondent. Uh, Jessica, uh, I'd say good to see you. Uh, not really, if you know what I mean, but uh, give, give us the latest there in Boulder. Good to, good to see you, though. Good to see you too, David. Yes, as you know, yesterday, a little before 3 p.m. local time here in Boulder, Colorado, at the King Supers right behind me, there was a mass shooting. Suspect uh, Ahmad Al Issa, 21 years old, walked into King Supers and started shooting randomly. Uh, Within the hour, police had him in custody uh, with 10 people dead. One um, of those people was a police officer, a Boulder police officer, who was one of the first to respond to the mass shooting. Another one was a 31-year veteran uh, employee of King Super, along with eight others. Uh, what we know right now from the suspect is he is 21-year-old Ahmad Al-Issa. He was born in Syria in 1999, but he lived most of his life here in the U.S., specifically in Arvada, Colorado, a neighboring city not too far from here. He went to Arvada West High School where he wrestled. We are learning 2018 Arvada police had two run-ins with Al-Issa, uh, one for a third degree assault, another for criminal mischief. We don't have any information if he was actually convicted on these charges, but we do know that Arvada police did have those run-ins with him. We are also um, learning that the FBI he was known to the FBI for an undisclosed investigation that we know very little about right now. But as we get that information, I will be sure to pass that on to you. The suspect's 34-year-old brother has supposedly told police he was very antisocial and what you would call paranoid that recently he went to a lunch with his sister and was uh, paranoid about people watching him or listening to him from the parking lot. Of course, the sister went out. She didn't find anybody there. Um, We're also hearing that on his social media, Al-Issa has interest of kickboxing and martial arts, and we are learning that he was not a Trump supporter. If anything, he actually hated President Trump. Uh, that is the latest that we have right now. And like I said, David, um, as soon as we receive more, we will keep you updated. But as you can see behind me, um, there is a makeshift memorial that the community 
has put together here in Boulder for the 10 victims and all day long people have been coming by paying their respects and placing flowers at that memorial. And that's the latest that we have. Back to you, David. Yeah, and Jessica, what are folks uh, saying there? Have you gotten a sense of the, the community uh, right now? Uh, I mean, once again, we know about Columbine and what happened in Aurora at the, at, the, at the movie theater back years ago. And now this. I mean, Colorado has just been hit so hard by these mass shootings. It has, and I think obviously that's national and world news. Um, and when another one of these shootings that unfortunately and, and unnecessarily takes place, uh, much of that is brought up again. Um, but right now it is very kind of sort of divided, I think, right now when it comes to the community. I think a lot of people are not really wanting to talk to any press at this point. Um, they're kind of staying on the other side of the divide. Um, like I said, coming by to the makeshift memorial there, uh, just kind of paying their condolences, being very quiet. It's a very solemn day. Obviously, the investigation is still taking place um, there in the parking lot across the street. So we haven't necessarily talked to anybody um, today at this location but it seems as if people are pretty somber, obviously upset. Everybody is. It doesn't really matter on what side of the spe uh, political spectrum you are on. Uh, this is all very sad, all of these mass shootings. Um, and like you said, we also know that uh, President Joe Biden has called for the Senate to pass two um, legislations in regards to guns. And so we'll have to see how that goes. Jessica, let me ask you a little bit. Do we have anything from the Boulder? Is it the Boulder Sheriff's Department or the police department? I'm not sure, quite sure. Uh, or, or the FBI for that matter. Do we have anything about the gun uh, in terms of how uh, the suspect potentially bought the gun? Uh, any, anything like that at this point? We don't know if he was able to obtain the AR-style, um, AR-15 style rifle, semi-assault rifle. Um, and I say it's style because we're hearing that he actually um, made some changes to that rifle before he used it. Somehow he was able to hold it on his shoulders. I'm not exactly clear. They haven't come out with all that information. Um, but we are also, we don't know if he was able to obtain these, uh, wep if this weapon legally or illegally. Uh, but we do know that police, Arvada police, where he lived, searched his home a little earlier and did find more weapons. They did not disclose which weapons um, that they did find, but we do know that that was found there at that location, more weapons. Um, and as far as the Boulder police and the FBI, they have not disclosed any information as far as what they found. What, what's the sense there? Are they giving uh, updates once or twice a day? How does this work? I mean, I've lived in Colorado for about 10 years. Uh, I worked at the local uh, television station out there, KUSA, uh, and, and I know they're pretty on the spot there. H how, are they, how are they doing that? How are they conveying information to the media out there? Really, really right now what is happening, it seems like they're keeping tight-lipped. There seems to be Arvada uh, Police Department, Boulder Police Department, and the FBI all involved. So that kind of makes it kind of an issue. I know they don't want to just come out with something, but this morning they had a press conference. Uh, they are, uh, the police report is expected sometime today. I'm thinking any time now, and then I'm pretty sure after that they will announce some sort of evening press conference to kind of keep people updated with what has taken place today. But other than that, that's really all we know at this point, David. Jessica Rivera, Real America's Voice correspondent on the scene in Boulder. Really appreciate you checking in with us today. Thanks, Jessica. 
Of course, David. All right. Uh, I, I got to tell you, we're, uh, RAV uh, will be all over this story, obviously, and especially, uh, obviously, not just what's going on in Boulder, but what's going on with the suspect specifically. Uh, we know he's 21 years old, as Jessica talked about. Uh, he he uh, was born in Syria, identified as Muslim. Um, we hear a lot from the media about domestic terrorism uh, when it comes to white men in this country. Uh, th this will be interesting to see how the media uh, covers this. I lived in Colorado, as I told Jessica, for 10 years. Uh, uh, I've been to King Supers, that supermarket. It's kind of your big supermarket wherever you are in whatever state. They don't have King Supers everywhere across the country, but in Colorado, King Supers is a big grocery store chain out there, there in, in, in places uh, in the mountain west for sure. And uh, it, it's really tragic to see uh, what has happened. And I, I know Joe Biden has called for gun control, uh, but is that really the solution? And I, and I kind of say that rhetorically. We, we, we know that gun control ultimately is not the solution from a constitutional standpoint. Uh, even mental health, uh, it's part of the problem, but not the final solution here. This is societal. Uh, this is uh, this is spiritual uh, and something we're going to dive into with Rick Green, constitutional coach, next. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep. The application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs. Just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. We've been talking, of course, uh, all show uh, about the uh, tragic shooting in Boulder. Ten dead, a 21-year-old arrested, a Muslim man, apparently had a major anti-Trump uh, post uh, on social media, which, uh, huh, look at that, had been all of a sudden taken down by Facebook. But anyhow, we'll get into that at some point in a future show. I, I want to bring in Rick Green, uh, founder of PatriotAcademy.com. Rick, uh, always great to see you, sir. Hey, David, good to be with you this morning. Well, you know, the Democrats, here we go. It's like a cycle, uh, you know, gun control, gun control, gun control. Wait a minute, hold on. At the top of the show, I talked about how Colorado has some of the strictest gun control measures uh, in the country uh, and what happened in Colorado. So, I, I don't know, w what's your take? Well, you might be surprised by what I initially say here, but I agree with the initial statements of a lot of these Democrats. It is, it is past time to do something about these mass murders. It is mm -hmm. time for the politicians that have been standing in the way of good legislation to get out of the way or get fired. But let's be very clear about what that good legislation is. It is not focusing on the hunk of metal or the hunk of plastic that is used to commit the murder. It is focused on getting out of the way and letting citizens defend themselves. The only way you're going to stop these mass murders is if citizens who are trained to use their firearms to stop the bad guy are allowed to carry that weapon wherever they go. We've got to have legislation that follows the wisdom of the founding fathers found in the Second Amendment, and they described it as the first law of nature, the right of self-defense. And all of these politicians, just as you mentioned in Colorado, that put in this legislation that makes it harder and harder for the citizen to, to defend themselves, they're the ones we should be angry about at right now. I am angry today. I am sick and tired of these mass murders where these murderers are able to go into these stores and go aisle by aisle for five, 10, 20, 30 minutes, sometimes an hour before they are finally stopped. Let the citizens defend themselves. And I want to encourage every citizen out there that's watching this to do two things today. 
Number one, call every one of your state legislators and federal legislators and tell them to pass national reciprocity where you can carry your firearm in any state across this country so that when your family's sitting down at that restaurant with you, you're able to defend them if a bad guy comes in, if a crazy guy comes in. And then when these lunatics show up, they're stopped in their tracks instead of being able to go around and murder 5, 10, 15, 20 people. So let the legislators know you want real legislation that's going to save lives instead of cost lives. And then secondly, get yourself trained. Uh, the reason I'm dressed like I am right now, I've got 300 people with me right now out in the desert of Nevada training through my constitutional defense course to get the intellectual ammunition of the first law of, self of defense or first law of nature, self-defense, but also learn how to physically defend their family in the moment. These are good people, law-abiding citizens. I got people out here that are literally 89 years old learning how to do this because they want to be able to defend their family. I'm sorry to go so long, David, but we've got to put a stop to this. And I'm tired of these virtue-signaling politicians mm -hmm. getting people's lives. They're costing lives. It's time to get back to common sense and get back to the Constitution. Rick, uh, go longer because uh, you're a jovial guy and you're angry today and you're, and you're angry for righteous reasons. It seems like this is a 180 of where America is. In other words, everybody's talking about gun control, gun control, gun control. And you're saying, hold on, the, the script legislative-wise needs to be flipped in the citizens' favor. That's exactly right. And the same thing applies to the school shootings. You know, every time one of these school shootings happens, it breaks my heart yeah. because there are teachers, there are principals, there are janitors, there are others that know how to get the training that they need to protect those children. Mm -hmm. And so when parents send their kids into these schools where they, these, you know, these no gun zones, I mean, it's ridiculous. You actually think that the criminal is going to pay attention to that and not mm -hmm. walk in? I saw a headline today that in Boulder, they're now blaming it on the fact that this this you know assault rifle ban in Boulder was blocked 10 years ago. Does anybody think that this nutcase that went in there yesterday was paying attention to that law That's at right. all? Absolutely right. not. So it's time for us to protect our kids, protect our families, get back to common sense, get back to the laws of nature and nature's God, and start following our Constitution. Let me explain real quick, everybody. Uh, take it down. You got a pen and paper. PatriotAcademy.com. PatriotAcademy.com. Rick Green has all the information there that you need to know in this. Uh, it's a battle. It's a, it's a social battle. It's a spiritual battle, societal battle, all of that. Hey, Rick, I want to, uh, speaking about battles, the vaccine passports, I got to get you on that. These yeah. vaccine passports, I don't know. Uh, it feels to me like iceberg right ahead, like Titanic here constitutionally. Am I missing something? But th th this seems, uh, you know, wait, let me get this straight. I can't go to like uh, Europe potentially because. I'm not vaccinated? Really? Wait, hold on for a second, Rick. What's going well, on? Well, you know, we would expect that from a socialist or a communist country to show me your papers, you know, but you should absolutely be able to travel state to state in America without having to prove some kind of vaccination. This is off the charts. And even even if, listen, David, if we were dealing with Ebola with a 50 percent case fatality rate or smallpox or, or, or yellow fever or even the Spanish flu of 1918, that was a 2.5 percent case fatality rate and millions were dying and children were dying. And all. That is not happening here. This is a 99 point, depending on which study you look at, even the CDC saying 0.2 percent case fatality, 0.26 percent case fatality rate. So, you know, even if you say 99.7 you know, percent survivability, we're going to interrupt travel. We're going to require people to start showing their papers. It's unbelievable. I'm so tired of watching these kids get kicked off these planes for not wearing a mask. Of course, I've been kicked off a plane, and some people call me a kid. But anyway, um, you know, the mask thing is ridiculous. But this passport idea for a vaccine that, frankly, you know, if you're at, if you're at risk and you yeah. think the vaccine, the risks of the vaccine are worth, uh, you know, protecting you, then get it by all, by all means. But 
we should be able to make that cost-benefit analysis ourselves. We determine our health care. That's our responsibility, yeah. not government, and certainly not the airlines. As we wrap up here, what's the is there a constitutional principle here about vaccine passports? In other words, is it, uh, is it something, it feels discriminatory. I don't know from a legal standpoint what might happen. Someone's got to challenge this, I mean, yeah. at some point, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, th this would be a negative right situation. There's not there's absolutely nothing in the Constitution that gives the government the authority to require this. Um, what we would typically say in constitutional law is, is there something here that rises, uh, has a compelling interest? It's bad enough that government should intervene. And then when they do intervene, it has to be narrowly tailored and least restrictive. Well, this idea of a vaccine passport violates all three of those. There's not a compelling interest here. It absolutely is not being narrowly tailored. Uh, it's not least restrictive. So I agree with you. It should be challenged. But David, I'll tell you, man, the courts have failed us miserably over the last year. So I don't have a lot of hope that they're going to uphold actual constitutional law here or the actual constitution everybody's just running scared that's why i'm wearing this shirt shirt fear is not a virtue we got to get out of this fear mindset and start letting people live free make their decisions live with the consequences of their, of their decision that's the american way uh, let's not follow this socialist communist model of literally requiring papers simply to travel in our country yeah rick green really appreciate your straightforwardness on this and of course What's ha what happened in Boulder. Thank you so much for uh, being a patriot out there, sir. I'll try to calm down and be more joyful next time, bro. Oh, no, I, I got you. All right, patriotacademy.com, Rick Green. Check it out. He's out there teaching people to defend themselves because guess what? In this society, today's day and age, you better do it. Welcome back to the water cooler, everybody. Uh, let's get right to it. We've got a lot going on because it is the last sip. Time for the poll of the day. The water cooler poll of the day. Here it is. The Biden administration is considering tax increases to pay for new government programs, they say they will only raise taxes for people earning more than $400,000 a year. So how likely is it that the final proposal will include tax increases on middle-income Americans? Take a look, 38%, <laughs> very likely. 24%, somewhat likely. 17%, eh, not very likely. 10% say no, 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 not at all likely. 11% of course saying not sure, uh, which is interesting if you look at the poll. So let me get this straight. The Biden administration, Biden administration says we're not gonna raise taxes on middle-class Americans, but look at the poll. 38% say, yeah, right, it's very likely you actually are going to raise taxes. And 24% say somewhat likely. So basically, 62% of Americans say, Biden administration, you're lying. That's the headline from the poll. All right, here's another headline that caught my attention. <laughs> nah, here, let's put it up. I'm already laughing. Dr. Fauci, how about this book? You're going to go out and get this? Hey, order it in time for Christmas. It's March. Dr. Fauci, uh, how a boy from Brooklyn became America's doctor. I tell you what, who doesn't want that for Christmas? Uh, I don't know about you, uh, but I do. Uh, and by the way, I love some of the description inside. And I don't know if this is, this looks like a children's book. Is this like scratch and sniff? Is it pop up? What's going on there? Uh, but I love how they say that uh, he was a curious boy in Brooklyn. That's the press release. A curious boy in Brooklyn, and he delivered prescriptions from his father's pharmacy on his <laughs> on his blue bicycle. <laughs> I'm sorry. Dr. Anthony 
Fauci, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, scratch and sniff, I don't know. Uh, coloring book, maybe. It looks like a coloring book. Can we put that up again? Is it possible to put that real quick up again? Uh, I, I think it is. I, I don't know what it is, but that's actually a pretty good uh, look for Dr. Fauci, uh, FYI. Uh, I'm looking forward to the Nancy Pelosi uh, speaker book. Uh, what will that be like? We've already know about the Donald Trump books that are out there, but the Nancy Pelosi speaker book, like Nancy Pelosi, you know, how a little girl from San Francisco grew up and wrecked America. You know, something like that. That would be fun, uh, and I can't wait to read that. I'm going to get, you know what? My mother, she's a bit liberal. I'm getting her the Nancy Pelosi pop-up book for Christmas. Back in a moment. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. The end of the show. And joining me now, uh, she's like a regular here. Uh, we are to pay you more. Anna Perez, Real America's voice correspondent. Good yeah. to see you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Should we pay you more? We probably should. I would more. not be upset. Okay. That's for sure. I would you not be upset. <laughs> all right. Uh, Madison, can we work on that? Great. Uh, <laughs> Anna, all right, what's going on? Now, I heard the R word, reparations. Yes, what, reparations. What do you got? What's going on? Um, what do you have today? It's really hot in the news right now because yeah. Evanston, Illinois, which is a city right side of right outside of Chicago, mm -hmm. just recently passed, um, now that they proved that now they, they're going to give reparations to the black community mm -hmm. right now. Um, and it, the way it works um, is they're going to give $25,000 to each household. And the qualifications um, would be that you have to meet are that you either lived between 1919 and 1969 in Evanston, or you are a descendant of somebody who lived within that time. And the, this money would be used to put on a down payment for property or to fix any repairs you need at your house. Okay. Um, and the money is coming from, this is interesting, yeah, from uh, the 3% tax on recreational marijuana and also donations. Donations. So. Donations. What does that mean, donations? Donations from who knows what? I don't know. And that, the interesting part is they want to keep this program going for the next decade. They want to give away $10 million that they want to redistribute to black families. Mm -hmm. And black blacks, I think, make up only 16% of Evanston, Illinois. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's interesting to see this, I think, because a lot of people, understandably so, are wondering, you know, okay, I get in theory that you might be for reparations, but how in practice do we actually apply this? Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of holes in this argument because, or the way that this could pan out, because, mm -hmm. you know, first of all, how do we know how black someone is? Are we going to make everybody take a 23andMe right. test and submit it to the city? Um, and, you know, <laughs> of course, we're seeing this with the Biden administration and the fact that they want to pass. I mean, they want to create their own commission for this. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I think that's pretty much the major question here. How would it even in th how would this even work out? In right. Practice? And by the way, 1919 and 1969, like where are they yeah. coming up with these numbers? <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, again, a lot of holes in this. And then there's the fact that, you know, and we could go on about yeah. this all day, but really it's just another way that the left is manipulating minority communities through these social programs and keeping them, you know, their tight grip on them and their votes. And that's mm -hmm. how they've treated us for, you know, since the creation of the Democratic Party. Right. So Interesting. Creative yeah. ways to get to the reparations exactly. issue. Right. All right. Anna, thanks for being here. Thank you. Yes, we'll get you more money. All right, <laughs> Madison, we're working on that. Uh, and I'm not opposed, and that's on the record. All right, uh, tomorrow, I've only got five seconds left. I better do this fast. Eric Greitens, I've heard of him. He's here tomorrow. See you tomorrow.